Have you ever thought about your rights and freedoms regarding your money and its impact by legislation from all levels of government? Welcome to the Information Edge with your host, Darren Yancey. Darren has over 40 years of experience in key sectors of the economy, and he's been knee-deep in politics for over a decade. He's going to get into detail on these sectors, the politics surrounding them, what they mean to you, and how you can protect yourself and be involved. Now, live from Texas, your host, Darren Yancey. All right, folks, welcome. Happy Hump Day. We're back behind the uh, mic having fun. Uh, we're going to have our first guest on the show today, and I, I think we probably couldn't have come out to a better start uh, bringing guests on the show. Today, we have Mr. Richard Thompson, who is the co-founder and president and chief counsel of the Thomas More Law Center. Now, the Law Center is a national nonprofit public interest law firm dedicated to the defense and promotion of the American Judeo-Christian heritage, its values, the sanctity of human life, and that's very important, a strong national defense, and an independent and sovereign United States of America. Richard, welcome to the show. Nice being with you, Darren. All right. Now, folks, this is a live show. If you uh, decide you'd like to call and comment or be a part of the discussion, it's 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, obviously, from uh, the introduction, we're going to be talking about religious freedom. Your, your firm right now, you guys are taking on some cases in court uh, dealing with First Amendment rights specifically, correct? That is correct. One of the big ones is uh, a case that will be heard by the Supreme Court sometime this April dealing with First Amendment right to free speech and also the freedom of association. It's a major case. A lot of public interest law firms have filed what we call friend of the court briefs on this because uh, it is revisiting the um, issue of whether state governments can require public interest law firms to uh, force them to reveal their donor base. And what ah, is, and what that's, is that's one of the clauses in the HR1 bill. Yeah, well, it's, you're right. And you they, know what happens yeah. when, uh, when people get a hold of donors who donate to an organization whose uh, policies they don't like, they go after the donor. They, they dox them. the donor. Yeah, they dox them. They try to get him to lose his job and they try to embarrass him in public. And in our case, um, they actually attempted to assassinate one of our clients. Holy um, Moses. Yeah. And, um, and then we get a lot of hate mail. Uh, our employees are threatened. And that's because we take on what people consider controversial issues, such yes. as pro-life, uh, traditional marriage, traditional family values. We've gotten involved with uh, going after the federal government on the Immigration Resettlement Act, where the government was forcing states to take immigrants. States had no um, say-so in that, but yet the states had to pay for them. So <laughs> it was a government policy that Congress passed. And then after about 10 years, this happened in 1980, but then after about 10 years, all the federal money uh, uh, dried up, and yet the state still had to pay for all of the social welfare benefits that these immigrants received when they came in. 
Are they, so were, they, were these illegal immigrants, perchance? Well, no, they, they were not illegal immigrants in this sense. Okay, so they were, they, were okay, in, they, were legal. they were brought in by the federal government under this, uh, what they call the Refugee Resettlement Act. Okay, that's and an old bill. That's an old bill. That was in 1980, and they kept on expanding it to where they were bringing in over 100,000 refugees a year, settling them in states that had no say-so about it. Uh, they, the bill said, well, we'll consult with you, but the consult was, uh, hey, we're going to bring these uh, immigrants into your state. The state government may say, uh, no, we won't want them. And they'd say, well, too bad. We've consulted with you. We think this is the best for the immigrant. And they would bring the immigrant in. And that's still being used today, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what I thought. Fact, yeah. Under Trump, it went down from like a hundred and some thousand to 25,000. Now it's back up to 100,000 under the current administration. Yeah, that's that, that's, that's that plan. Then there's the Open Borders Act. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and, and again, because of that kind of uh, effort, uh, you know, people consider us controversial and they go after us. They go after our donors. Uh, they go after us. They call us a hate group, a bigoted group. They think we're anti-immigrant. We're not. You know, uh, we just b basically believe that this whole immigration resettlement program was a farce. People were people were not really uh, immigrants. They were not really seeking asylum. They just wanted a, a nice place to live. Instead of going through the normal process, they would stay in an immigrant camp like in Syria or some other state. And then uh, the United Nations would determine how many uh, immigrants the United States would take. It was a, a decision by the United Nations. Oh, good Lord. Bureaucrats would get together and decide. I know that Texas tried to stop it at one point. Uh, several states tried to stop it, but uh, the federal courts would not, um, would not go along with it. What we tried to do is we filed a lawsuit against the federal government on the basis of the 10th Amendment saying, this is a federalism issue. If you pass a bill in Congress, you have to pay for it unless the states agree to pay for it. And if the states decide, well, we don't want to pay for it anymore, then you can't force them to pay for it. The same federalism issue now is, um, you know, is uh, rearing its ugly head with what is happening in our central uh, our southern border, right? Oh, uh, the federal government has invited all these people in. These communities along the southern border in Texas and Arizona yeah. say, hey, we can't take care of it. We don't have the resources. And the well, federal government isn't giving them the resources. Yeah. And Governor Abbott has uh, has basically put in effect, we're, we're going to be patrolling it. If the, if the federal government won't, we will in Texas. And that's something that's not the first time that's happened. Um, Governor Perry did it before that. And a lot of governors have done it when we've had these influxes. But let me ask you a question. I want to get opinion on two things. Obviously, it sounds like you're familiar with HR1. Just a little bit. It just came out, but I've been following it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, done, a, I've done two podcasts, the second it from A to Z and uh, all the eviscerations. And there is a clause in there, and I believe either the second or the third part, uh, that wants to change the way that the current nonprofit entities can protect those donors. Mm -hmm. Because you do have 
for example, if, if I want to uh, donate to a super PAC or a foundation that then turns around and does work with that, I do have a degree of anonymity because I donated to an organization that then goes and donates to another organization. Mm-hmm. They're wanting to eliminate that veil, which we know why, so that they can do intimidation. Um, do in terms of, of what you see with that, if that you, you already see right now where there's ways that you're breaking through it. If that were to pass, what kind of prediction do you think that would have for nonprofit organizations like your own? Well, uh, obviously, nonprofit organizations that deal in what are considered controversial issues. You know, uh, 10 years ago, saying uh, I believe in marriage as a union between one man and one woman was not controversial. But now today it is. And uh, what they will do is they will pierce that veil and then they will go after the donor base of that organization that, you know, advances those causes in the courts. As you probably know, Derek, because you've been involved in government, at the end of the day, the Supreme Court controls the country. They overrule what the Congress can do. They overrule what the president can do. So you have nine unelected officials uh, making decisions, you know, for the future of our country. And so those battles, ultimately, these major battles end up in court and they are being prosecuted by public interest law firms. Well, let me, that, that, that brings up my second question. Okay. Um, and I'll try to catch this in a way that doesn't trap you. Okay. <laughs> but what is your, we know, I agree with everything you just said. Mm-hmm. And the Supreme Court does go through. What is your opinion of the current court? And I'm, I'm going to take it back to, say, from November 1st forward in the not not so much the makeup of the court, but shall we say the courage of the court? Well, that's a that's a loaded question. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. I, well, agree. I, I think a lot of people wanted the courts to take up the cases that dealt with the presidential election because it was clear that several states, mostly the swing states, yes. violated the provisions of the Constitution that said state legislatures will determine the way that the federal election for president is run. And yet in several states, uh, it was either the governor that decided that, the secretary of state decided that, or the courts decided. Exactly. Clear violations of the, of the constitutional provision. This whole idea that we had to show pro- fraud, you had to show fraud in the elections, that, that may have been, you know, a sexy kind of issue to bring forward. But the real constitutional issue was, was the election, federal election, run in accordance with the Constitution. And in think, several states, they were not. Do you think the cases were, were improperly put together to pose before the Supreme Court? Well, there were some cases uh, that were appropriate. The one in Pennsylvania, I can't understand why the Supreme Court didn't take that one up. Okay. Uh, others, they were a little more um, uh, problematic because they focused on, uh, they focused on fraud. They, they didn't focus on, on violating election law. Uh, yeah. Okay. And, and in Michigan, there were several cases that were brought, uh, specifically in the uh, city of Detroit, where Republican poll watchers 
indicated they were kept out when they were supposed to be in. And secondly, they saw a lot of what they considered illegal activities. That is, people were not checking the signature. People were putting ballots through the, uh, the ballot counter more than once. So when that first case came up and there were affidavits filed and a judge in Detroit looked at them, he said, well, I don't believe the affidavits uh, are credible. I think the affidavits uh, that the city of Detroit presented were credible. And he said that there was no fraud in the election that would change enough votes that would overturn the results of the election. So it's not, you know, it's not just fraud. Is there enough fraud that would change the election results? Okay, and, and that was a lower level court, correct? Yeah, yeah. And so that was a kind of problem they had. I think uh, a part of it was the Democratic Party outsmarted the Republican Party. Oh, there's no question. Yeah, there's no they question. They brought in all of this stuff of mass mailing votes. And, and a few years before then, it was the Democrat senators that were saying this is ripe for fraud. They were saying that. Yeah, right. And obviously it turned out to be where you had these standalone ballot boxes without 24-hour guards. Uh, you had ballots that were being brought in, harvested and thrown in. I think Texas was one of the uh, areas, uh, one of the states that was pretty uh, vigilant about that. Well, we they, didn't. We, we refused Dominion systems um, right. when it came by in 2019. Every test that was run by the Secretary of State failed and they just said no we're not going to do it so so let me let me let's just go back for just a second so then perhaps the the cases weren't put together in the manner they should have been and while we may not agree as that being a potential way to not hear the case it's probably not grounds for us to lose faith in this supreme court is that a, a reason well there, there's another issue here the Supreme Court traditionally has been very reluctant to get into what they used to call a political question. Okay. But that all changed with uh, Bush v. Gore. Right. Okay. That's when they started to get in and they, they gave the, uh, the election to uh, uh, President Bush. Uh, but normally they stay away from them. Just think of this. We, let's say the Electoral College comes in and votes uh, – to seat uh, Joe Biden as a president. Right. Then you're going to have nine unelected officials say, nope, you're not going to, you're, we're not going to allow that because they violated the law. There would have been an uproar in the country. The Supreme Court also has to watch out for its own institutional integrity. And the only respect that the Supreme Court has or the only power that the Supreme Court has, I might say, is the respect that the people give it. If the people stop giving it respect, then the Supreme Court doesn't have any power. Because our, our founding fathers thought the Supreme Court was the least powerful branch of government. They did not have the power to tax. They didn't have an army, et cetera. Was it Lincoln? And I think Andrew Jackson may have said the same thing. You issued the order, now enforce it. You know, right. they don't have an army to enforce. Right. But uh, but but so they have to rely upon the respect that the people give it. And so sometimes they uh, don't rule on an issue 
because of uh, prudence. You know, they don't have to take every case that comes up to them. Yeah. This is a whole, most of the cases that are decided never get up to the Supreme Court. They may try, what, a 0.2% or something like that of the cases out of 8,000 cases that are petitioned for review. The Supreme Court might take 100 of them. So it's very rare that the Supreme Court um, will take a case unless they think it's going to advance either a legal position that has to be clarified or it is important enough for the governance of the country. But to sit there and try to overturn an election is a very, uh, very uh, uh, serious matter. Would they have been out of line by by ordering a, a, a manual audit? No, they could have done that. I mean, when the case got before it, yeah. They have certain, they should have a, a, a authority to do those kinds of things. But I think the Republican Party waited too long to bring those kinds of actions. They should have brought yeah. those actions before. You know, the uh, Democratic Richard, Party. Richard, I'm going to hold you there. We're okay. going we to take a quick break and then we'll come right back. Folks, you're listening to the Information Edge podcast with Darren Yancey. My special guest today is Richard Thompson of the, uh, the, the Thompson Law Firm out of Michigan, and we are in some wonderful discussion right now. We're going to take a quick break, pay a few bills, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN.
You are listening to The Information Edge with Darren Yancey. To reach the program today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to darren at darrenyancey.com. Now, back to The Information Edge. All right, folks, we're back with Richard Thompson of the Thomas Law Firm out of Michigan. All the good work that they were doing. And, and I got him off track asking about should we still have faith in the Supreme Court? And I think what he, what uh, Richard has done is provided a clear pathway of the court doesn't want to get involved unless they have to. And it needs to be aces, straights and flushes. It wasn't. Therefore, they're going to stick with their formality. It's It's got to come the way. And in essence, we shouldn't lose faith in the Supreme Court right now. If that's what I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. First of all, you know, again, as we were talking uh, uh, before the show began again, uh, that there is the separation of powers, and uh, our founding fathers did that on purpose. The Supreme Court is the uh, institution that is to ensure that the laws are carried out, the Constitution is carried out. And um, if we don't have the Supreme Court today, uh, you know, uh, when uh, your AG Paxson filed a lawsuit trying to correct what Biden was doing, saying you violated the law. He had to go to a court, a court in Texas, a district judge in Texas said you're right and stopped what Biden was doing. Now there's gonna be appeals of that, I assume, and ultimately it may get to the Supreme Court. So at the end of the day, people who are concerned about the direction of the country are are. going to have to go to the courts to right. get the courts to straighten it out. And so you might have a lot of problems with courts and a lot of problems with specific decisions that the courts make. Uh, the judges argue with each other. They don't agree with each other. You know, this, <laughs> there's a decision that just came down uh, two days ago where it was an eight to one decision and Chief Justice Roberts was the dissent. <laughs> so, you know, some cases are pretty clear. Other cases, it's five to four. Right. You know? So, the judges argue among themselves, but at the end of the day, the matter will be resolved and people have to have enough faith in the system to say, okay, the case has been resolved. Let's go from here forward. Uh, and that's, a, that's what has to happen. Uh, even in this most emotional time, uh, when the, when the uh, presidential election was uh, seriously questioned, um, you know, we had to allow the process to play out. What do you think that the Republican Party should have done? Uh, obviously, they should have filed it based upon election law, but you also mentioned timing. Is that something that should have been done within 24 to 48 hours of the, the election? Here, the, the Democratic Party outsmarted the mm-hmm. Republican Party at the state level. The Democratic Party filed lawsuits a year before the elections to get the states to agree to mass mailings of ballots. I, okay, that, that's brand that news to me. So you're Absolutely. telling me. Oh, yeah. They I had, had no idea. Yeah, they did that. And, wow. And, and they did that when the Republican Party at the state level was sitting on their hands, depending on uh, Donald Trump, to win because he was so popular. Right. He saw what he was going, uh, all the uh, rallies that he did. He went to 53 or 54 rallies. Uh, you had uh, 
you know, uh, Joe Biden have a rally of 10 people, you know. So if you look at the optics, you know, there's no question that Donald Trump uh, was ahead. But yeah. what the Re Democrats did, they they legally um, they 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 set the it system. up where they could win. They legally, legally rigged the system. Okay, and the and the Republicans sat back. They those okay. things. Well, for instance, in Georgia, which was a big battle. Okay, who decided who decided the terms of the election? It Supposed was the, state the Secretary of State. Yeah, was not is not the legislature, right. and it was uh, the I forgot what her name was. They made they filed a lawsuit. They decided in a consent judgment this is the way that Georgia elections are going to be run. Okay, totally unconstitutional. They didn't have that authority. The constitution the constitution gave that authority to the legislative branch. Now I think the legislative branch is now trying to catch up so right. that doesn't happen again. Yeah, every, I can tell you right now, every yeah. state is trying to catch up and be sure that right. they seal it up. But you brought something forth that I wasn't aware of. I thought it was something that they were everybody was able to do. So you're saying they filed a lawsuit in advance to be able to do the mailings, which right. just, gosh almighty, we just happened to have a pandemic come along. Right. Conveniently right. to be able to test this theory. That's some pretty interesting information. Well, and now I, you're, you're getting, uh, Darren, you got involved with what is, uh, uh, I forgot, the Senate Bill 1 or whatever, uh, uh, that is going to even make it even wider open, you know. H.R. 1, House HR Resolution 1. That's right, H.R. 1. Yeah. They're yes. going to make it even wider open. Well, you're going to have to stop it again. Where are you going to stop it? You're going to be filing lawsuits saying you can't do that. Well, let me ask you a question. System. Okay. Let me ask you a question because the language, matter of fact, there's even references to in HR 1. I don't remember it in HR 127. In my opinion, because of the evisceration of the state's rights and the language that's used, these basically, these two bills appear to be proposals for constitutional amendments. There is actual language referencing to this in H.R. 1 that, you know, people were wanting a constitutional amendment. Okay. From that perspective, if they if it pass, it passes the Senate and Mr. Biden signs it, obviously there's legal challenge. But don't they have an obligation to present this as a bill to the states for ratification? Or do you think they're just going to try to blow by that? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't I can't answer that question because I'm not sure of it, Darren. So I won't I won't. Okay. If they were going to present it as a constitutional amendment, what is the protocol for that? Well, I, there has to be some resolution, in, and I forgot, was it uh, two, three-fourths of the states? Yeah. I'm not sure, have to uh, approve it before it becomes a constitutional amendment. I think it has to go to the states. Yeah. Um, I, it, I haven't uh, looked at that law for a while, so... I'll have to beg off on giving you a good answer. That's okay. No, I, I'm just, I've, I've went through the, I've done a deep dive on these two documents. I mean, I've been, they're thousand page documents. I did two shows on HR one. I did one on 127. And in my opinion, and I've talked with some legal people, there's no question they're rewriting the constitution and the interpretation is supposed to be that should, it should require the state's approval. Right. Doesn't mean they're going to try to go for it. And I think you're right they'll challenge it. And then that's the reason I was asking if, if the faith in the, uh, the Supreme court, because if those two go do come out, obviously they've got to be challenged. And I would hope that the Supreme court would 
compare the law with the Constitution and, you know, say, okay, this is, this doesn't jive. Yeah, except here, then we have to re- remember, you know, there was this whole idea of let's pack the court. They don't like the makeup of the court, mm-hmm. so they want to add more judges. You know, the, the thing that uh, Franklin Roosevelt tried to do, uh, they're adding more judges at the lower levels as well. So there is a master plan that the radical left have has to change the face of America. But is it packing the court? Is it that also a constitutional change there? What? To To, to increase the number of justices? Is that a constitutional change? uh, No, I think that can be done by Congress. That can be done? Okay. Yeah. You know, we've had six uh, justices sometimes. We've had seven. Uh, We have nine now. But it's tradition. We've had nine for a long, long period of time. But it's just a matter of Congress deciding. The Congress can decide how many uh, district judges we can have. You know, they've suddenly increased the number of district judges, district court judges. So the number of judges we uh, uh, we have is up to Congress. The jurisdiction of the judges, the district court judges, is up to Congress. So Congress has a lot of power in this. And, you know, what I was saying before, there's a master plan they have, and they're carrying it out. A lot of it because of covid you know, everyone's not paying attention. Uh, and, you know, they, they're successful in this last election and they saw what they could do. They're trying to reduce the voting age to what, 16? They certainly tried. Yes. Yeah. They so, didn't get that amendment, but they certainly yeah, but, tried. Yeah, but they're trying again, you know. Oh, yeah. The, the theory a lot of people are proposing or propounding is that, you know, they think they only have two years before the Republicans take over again. So they're going to use every minute of those two years to get every kind of radical proposal they can get passed, passed. So this is where it's really going to be because this, the Senate is split. Let's right. assume that you have the Republicans hold together. There's going to have to be a defection from the Democrat side because the, the, the VP holds that tiebreaker. There's going to have to be like on this HR one, if it comes when it's coming to the Senate in 127, because I promise you they'll vote it out of the House. Uh-huh. there's going to have to be a senator, one senator at least, that defects. Do you see that happening? Well, it's happened in the past, but the, the uh, Democrats have shown a lot of discipline, and they do lockstep. The Republicans, on the other hand, uh, except for some points like uh, what they did uh, just a few days ago, uh, you, do have, you do have people that splinter off. You know, you had Republican senators voting to impeach Trump. Yeah, I did. It was insane. You know, I don't think you'd ever have that in the Democratic Party. No. Especially when there was never any hearings in the House of Representatives to present the bill. I mean, it was, you know, if you if you want to call a lynch mob, that's what it was, a lynch mob. So Do do you think that that process has opened up the door for future Congresses to go after past sitting presidents? Well, I, I, I don't think so. I don't, I think the Republicans are a little more, well, they're conservative and a little more principled than that. I I don't think that does well for the country or else we'll uh, we'll never get any business done. We'll just have one impeachment after the other. Uh, So I don't know if that's a prudent step to take. What is prudent is to show how bad it is 
and then make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, and this, we had a runaway House of Representatives. You have Nancy Pelosi, who uh, hated Donald Trump. You remember the time when he gave his, uh, uh, I think, I forgot. State which of the Union. She rips up. She ripped it. Yep. Yeah. You know, when was that done the last time? I, I mean, that is just to- totally, uh, totally lack of respect. You may not like the guy, but you don't stand up there and do that in camera in front of the, you know, the, the nation. So. Yeah, that, that was, uh, I, I, and I, I, I gorge at the political comedy trough of Nancy Pelosi oh. because I mean, she looked, she, <laughs> between, between the, uh, what I would consider uh, imbibed ramblings and, and some of the things that she does. I mean, only thing I can say, I mean, she's 80 years old. The only reason she hasn't passed out from a aneurysm is somehow she sold her soul and got a good price for it. But, you know, uh, I do gorge at that trough. You know, it's interesting that bill hasn't come through to pack the court, but it's going to, what you're saying is it's going to come. Let's talk about Nancy Pelosi for a moment, because uh, I, I love having, I love Madam Drake. Okay, well, having two sons in the military, I'm, I'm pretty sensitive to this. Mm-hmm. She went to General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and apparently persuaded him, or at least he didn't make a big stink about it, not to allow Donald Trump to have the nuclear code. That's insubordination. When did that happen? That happened just, uh, you know, during the period of time when all of this stuff was going on, chaos was going on in Washington. During the oh, during the transition? During the impeachment, yeah. And so that wow. she is not even in the chain of command, and yet she went to the chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff. That's treason. Right? That, well, it's, it's insubordination. And the only person that is... Um, responsible for that nuclear code that has a constitutional responsibility as a commander in chief is the president of the United States. Absolutely. And she goes to the chairman of joint chiefs of staff and tries to get him to um, uh, prevent the president from using that nuclear code. Now, you know, the whole thing is if there is a surprise attack, you know, Some, yeah, I'm sorry you're not going to use uh, the retaliation that we have planned already. Wow. So this is how bad it got. This is how bad it got. Yeah, that's uh, that's information. I don't think that made it to the circuit. Well, if, if I, I, you know, there was a lot of insubordination going on at the higher levels of the uh, military. Um, very subtle kinds of stuff. That Do you think that up. was done because they saw President Trump shutting down the endless wars and having an impact on, even though he spent a lot of money on equipment, getting the military built up? Do you think they saw that as a possible starting to scale down of the uh, the military industrial machine that they did not want to see stop? Uh, I think that could be very well be it. And, and the question, you're raising a great question, um, and that is, if you really want to, if you really care about peace, you want to be uh, armed. Okay, right. uh, a strong military is there to sustain peace. 
when the government, when the enemies think that you are weak, that's when they start taking advantage. They start making inroads. And that's when, you know, ultimately there's a decision made. Let's go to war. Trump was pulling these troops out and what, 17, 18 years of worth of war in Afghanistan, yeah. uh, four or 5,000 Americans killed and nothing has changed. Nothing. Nothing has changed. Uh, so he, I mean, he made the right decision, the prudent decision. He was going to pull out a lot faster. It was the military, top military commanders that said, no, you have to stay because if we leave, then the uh, enemy will, you know, use those. Creates a vacuum. Again. Yeah. So with that theory in mind, we never leave. We never right. leave anywhere. And it's American taxpayers that we're paying for it all. Right. So, I mean, you know, uh, I'm basing this on my personal opinions because the Thomas More Law Center as a 501c3 can't take positions in partisan politics, but I can take positions on policy. And this is the policy that was wrong. Uh, the policy was right and the military was wrong on, on this particular issue. Yeah, um, and, we're already, and we're already back in the Middle East bombing Syria. Yeah. 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 Yeah, oh. yeah. That's how, how did that work out for hope, love, and unity? Right. Remember when? Remember when they said um, when Trump said, "Oh, we're going to establish Jerusalem as the capital of Israel." Yep. Okay. Everyone said there's going to be war. You can't do that. This is horrible. Every president said that. Richard, it, I, don't I, carry I, it out. I hate to interrupt you. We got We're on a hard break, real quick. Hold that thought because I would like to come back to that. Folks, you're listening to the Information Edge podcast with Darren Yancey, our special guest today, Richard Thompson of the Thomas Law Firm. We're going to pay some bills. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. 
Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. You are listening to The Information Edge with Darren Yancey. To reach the program today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to darren at darrenyancey.com. Now, back to the Information Edge. All right, folks, we have Richard Thompson of the Thomas Law Firm. Doing Thomas Moore Law Firm. Thomas Moore Law Firm. Law Center. TMLT. Thomas Moore Law Center. And doing great work in keeping America great in a path. We've got a lot of good information. Now you've got some cases that you were going into some, I interrupted you and we got off on a tangent uh, about items that are coming before the Supreme court. And you wanted to go into detail on those. Give us what, give us an idea of what that's about and where you think that might head. Well, the, the one case that I was talking to you about earlier, that's going to be uh, the oral argument is going to take place in April uh, next month. And that dealt with the state of California telling the Thomas More Law Center that we had to turn over all the names of all of our major donors oh. or else we could not solicit donations in California and we would be penalized and fined personally. Now, the, uh, that was done by the Attorney General of the state of California, who at the time- What did they base that on? Uh, they said, well, we were checking, they had some rules uh, in California that allowed the attorney general's office to uh, enforce laws. The attorney general's office had these policies in place and they were enforcing those. But the point I was going to make is the attorney general at that time was Kamala Harris. <laughs> she, she started to ask us, now we've been in existence for since 1998. We have never turned over our list of donors to any state government, never. Right. So she started to ask for them. We just, it's starting in 2015. We'd say, send a letter back as what is your authority? She'd never answer. She, next year, 2016, uh, uh, well, she started in 2012, excuse me. She'd, get, she'd uh, ask for our donor list. What's your reasoning? She would never give us one. 2013, 2014, then 2015 is when she said, you've got 30 days to turn over your donor list or else we're, you're not going to solicit. We're going to take your license away and your board of directors and you will be personally liable for all the penalties. Well, I didn't wait for 30 days. I filed a federal lawsuit against her. Here's your response. Yeah, here's your response. We won in a federal court in, in California, they appealed it to the Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit reversed, and now we're up in the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, um, you know, agreed to hear it. But uh, people should know that the person that started it was now wow. the Vice President, Kamala Harris, who, by the way, the judge kept on asking, because the trial was, it was a three-day trial, where's the Attorney General? She never showed up at the trial. She basically uh, had, it's like six assistant attorney generals show up every day. We wow. had one attorney there with a law clerk. 
that totally, uh, you know, won the case. And now we're up in the Supreme Court. And as I said, there are a lot of public interest law firms that are supporting our legal position. Public interest law firms that are would uh, be opposed to our ideology since we are, you know, Judeo-Christian, right. supporting, uh, you know, family values, etc. But they understand what freedom means. And they understand that once a state starts getting into donor um, uh, uh, lists, that those lists will become uh, public. And then there will be all of this, uh, you know, reaction, doxing, intimidation, uh, forcing people out of their jobs, etc. So it's a very important issue. And it's an issue that's, that the Supreme Court had voted on and had agreed with back in 1958, when the case was against uh, the NAACP brought a case against Alabama, when, you know, the racial uh, tensions were very high in the South, uh, Alabama said to NAACP, we want to see your, we want to see your donor list. <laughs> the same thing. It was all for intimidation, right? Absolutely. It got up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, no, they're protected by the freedom of speech and freedom of association. So 60 years later, we're back at the same issue. And again, the Supreme Court has to vote on it. And this time, as you know, uh, from your own uh, research, et cetera, we are in a uh, society that is deeply divided. Yes. You know, you know, there's uh, there is no compromise going on. And so one side will take advantage of the other side if they get a hold of donor lists. And I think that's very important at this time that people get to donate to the causes they believe in without fear that somehow their personal lives are going to be exposed or they're going to be threatened uh, with physical harm. Well, since you've already got case history out there that supports your position, and I don't think we're going to see a change in the makeup of the court in the next six weeks, do you have? Do you feel good about where your position is in front of the court? Well, I, I feel good, but as a lawyer that's been around for a long time, I would never guarantee a victory of uh, of sorts. So, uh, we think we have a very strong position. We have precedent on our side, but the uh, the state of California says, "Well, when all we're trying to do is make sure we have the uh, ability to." Uh, discover and prosecute fraud. And basically we say, you already have that ability. Right. You don't need donor lists. You can subpoena, if you have, if you have records that you want, you can try to get a subpoena or a search warrant. But in our case, the auditors, the California auditors themselves said, we have never had a complaint against the Thomas More Law Center. We have never started an investigation uh, against the Thomas More Law Center. Uh, we don't use a donor list uh, to ferret out and, and prosecute fraud. So there was no reason for them to have this other than the fact that, which I made in my deposition, that we are opposed to everything uh, Kamala Harris stands for, whether it's pro-life or it's uh, traditional family values, etc. cetera. So uh, in my view, my personal view, I think it was a political decision to make. They get 60,000 uh, license renewals a year. Why did they pick on the Thomas More Law Center? Right. 
Why did they send all their energy with six uh, assistant attorney generals in a courtroom to go after this relatively small uh, public interest law firm out of Texas? Well, one of the reasons may have been that we filed amicus brief in support of Proposition 8 when she was against it. Prop 8. And so, yeah. And so, uh, you know, that could have been a possibility. But that brings up the point that attorney generals who have control over donor lists can use those donor lists as a weapon. Sure. Unless the Supreme Court comes out and says you can't get them. You know, what, you, what you've got before the court, now, they're going to hear that. How soon do, would you anticipate them to give a decision once they've heard the argument? Is that within days, weeks, months? Oh, a month. It would be months probably before the, uh, before the uh, summer begins, I would say. But I don't that, what, what you're <laughs> arguing for, not only having that uh, precedent, but realistically, it would fly right in the face of language that is currently in HR one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, well, would bas- it would basically already establish re reestablish a precedent. I guess there's already one precedent out there. You're reaffirming a precedent. I think that's something that um, probably needs to be communicated to some senators that are looking at that bill. Well, you know, interestingly enough, the fact when, when Donald Trump was the president, and the Department of Justice was under him. The Department of Justice was supporting our petition for writ of certiorari. The Supreme Court asked the Department of Justice, the Federal Department of Justice, what their position was and would they take a position. The Department of Justice, after looking at all the, both the plaintiff side and the defendant side, said, we'll take a position. And they took a position in support of our legal arguments. Just recently, when Biden took over, a couple of senators told the current Department of Justice they should withdraw from the case. So, you know, the senators are already trying to put pressure on the Department of Justice to withdraw from the case that they had agreed the Supreme Court should hear and that they had agreed that our position was the correct position. So that's what happens. You know, there's a lot of political pressure being put on. Can, can, are, can you name those two senators? Is there an issue naming those two senators? Are, uh, if, look, if, if, if it's it, uncomfortable, it, don't. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather not at this point. Okay. That's fine. Not, we we don't was, want to bring. It was, made, it was public. It was, they wrote okay. a letter. The public, the letter was public. I can do a little research and I can find it. Yeah. Okay, we'll do that. Yeah, because the reality is part of what we try to do on this show is educate folks, let them know what's going out there. Uh, the site that I've got, I've got where they can pull up all the House members, the Senate members, all the committees, different branches of the government, because realistically, you know, there's several of these bills that, uh, you know, have got to be stopped on the Senate side. And if they're not stopped on the Senate side, yes, they're going to be sued. But that brings up a question. Let's say one of these does get out it's passed this law and it gets sued and it goes through the process. Does that automatically suspend the enforcement of the bill or does it stop or, or does it not stop the enforcement until a judge judges on? Well, it depends on the judge. Uh, if you file a lawsuit, let's say challenging it, it may be, it would be generally on constitutional grounds. 
One of the things you do when you file a lawsuit, you also ask for a temporary restraining order prohibiting the government from implementing that law and then going into a preliminary uh, injunction that was a lot longer than just a temporary restraining order. The judge can enter that and stop enforcement of that law while the suit is pending. So they can do that, but it's up to the judge to do that. And the judge has to look at uh, several things, one of them being, what is the likelihood of the party winning the case at the end of the day? What are the public interest um, factors that should take into consideration at the, uh, as to whether the court should act or not? When uh, A.G. Uh, Paxton from Texas filed a lawsuit against the Biden administration for uh, the implementation of the wall right. that was going on, the federal judge there issued first a temporary restraining order and then made it permanent. Uh, a, a, a permanent injunction. Uh, I haven't followed that case since then, but I would assume that the federal government, the Department of Justice, will probably appeal that to the uh, Federal Court of Appeals, and then ultimately it will end up on a petition for writ of certiorari to the United States Supreme Court because it's an important issue. How long? But that could that might take a year or two. Well, Unless they decide to accelerate it. It could take a year or two or more. Like, for instance, the case we brought uh, against Kamala Harris when she was the attorney general started in 2015. And now it's 2021 that it's going to be in front of the Supreme Court. So you can tell you, it takes a long time. Wow. Well, I got to tell you, that's been fantastic. We're actually starting to wind down on the time. I got to tell you, Richard, it's been a, a, a pleasure having you on the show. I would like, after you have the hearing in front of the judges, I'd like to have you back and uh, let's have a discussion on how you feel it went. It doesn't mean it's going to go that way, but have a discussion and if there's any further developments on that. Now, because the Thomas More Law Center does operate as a nonprofit, you folks can accept donations, correct? Correct. Correct. Now, if someone wanted to donate to your uh, law firm, how would they do that? Uh, I appreciate you asking that question, Darren. The way to do it is go to our website. It's www.thomasmore.org. And once you get it to our website, there will be a menu that will tell you how to donate. And of course, as a 501c3, all donations are uh, tax deductible. All right. Fantastic. Folks, that's Richard Thompson of the Thomas More Law Center. Uh, I would highly encourage you if you like the American way of life. Uh, make a donation. You don't have to take food off the table or change your standard of living, but five, 10, 15, 20 bucks for a few million people will make a difference. Richard, thank you for being on the show today. Well, thank you for having me, Darren. Nice meeting you uh, uh, in person. Thank you. All right, folks, you've been listening to the Information Edge podcast with Darren Yancey. We'll be back next week. And I tell you what, um, we got a big show to follow up after today's show. Thank you very much. Y'all have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to the Information Edge. Please join your host, Darren Yancey, again next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Central, and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll have more to share then.